Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am, of course, Jeff Rubin, joined this week by Oren Brimmer, producer for The Daily Show, director for Front Page Films, all-around awesome guy. Welcome to the show, Oren. Thanks for having me, man. Oren, you came up uh, a few weeks ago because I interviewed your friend Francesco, mm-hmm. who writes Sally Forth. Yeah. And uh, while we were talking, I was like... Uh, you know, I was just recounting the story of how we met at mm-hmm. your, uh, you would, I believe it was actually at your leaving college humor party because you used to work yeah, at college humor. Yeah, I, it, I, I, I uh, listened to that episode and it wasn't much of a party, more of a, all right, he's leaving now. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it was, was fun though. I don't know, I met, I made a friend, mm-hmm. that's a party. Uh, yeah. And I think if you, but if you listen to that episode, like you can hear me, like as soon as mm-hmm. I say it, like writing down on this notepad, like I have in front of me now, like get yeah. Oren on this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And now here we are a few weeks later. You used to work at College Humor. Yes, you I was. Were, I was until a, you left in disgrace. I left, exactly. I used to work at College Humor. I was hired as an editor. Mm-hmm. I knew Ben Joseph, who still works here. And uh, we worked together at a now defunct website called superdeluxe.com. Oh, I didn't realize you worked at Super Deluxe. Yeah, I was. I, I produced, I have sunk many a website. Um, <laughs> well, I, we're still okay. College yeah, Humor is still College Humor is fine. But uh, anything I produce for, basically, I. I Produced videos for Super Deluxe as they were tanking. None of my videos saw the light of day uh, that I created for them. And then later on, I would make some series uh, for Adam.com, which is now getting folded into ComedyCentral.com. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. They've so been on for a while, too. Yeah, yeah. But College Humor's okay. Yeah, College Humor's And you directed fine. some stuff uh, while you were here, too. Yeah, that's actually... Um, yeah, that I was an editor, but people knew me as a director as well, so they... Uh, the higher-ups here were nice enough to hand me a couple projects here and there, and some of those actually turned out to be some of the reason why I have the job at The Daily Show. You directed at least one thing I wrote. First of all, you directed one of my hardly, favorite Hardly Workings, which I'm not in at all, which is Ricky's Diary. Oh, yeah, that one was a lot of fun. I'm not involved in that one at all, and I love it. I think it's one of the best Hardly Workings. Mm-hmm. And the thing you directed that I wrote that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, the disaster at the Cheese Factory commercial. Oh, that was one of my favorites. Where things are dangerously cheesy and then the cheese starts going. I wrote that with, uh, I should have looked before I started talking, Uh, I believe Kevin Kevin. and Pat, or Kevin Kevin and Dan. It was Kevin Kevin and Pat. I remember it was Kevin because uh, he was in it, Mm -hmm. and in the shooting of it, I, the director I am, decided to douse my actors in cheese, actual nacho cheese, because it was cheaper than finding any substitute. And... uh, Kevin did the noble thing as a writer of it to get doused in cheese and be cold in a warehouse in February, uh, in the and you know he took it for the team. Kevin's good like that. Yeah, he'll yeah. He'll, he'll take a hit like that. John Stewart, of course, saw Kevin doused in nacho cheese and was yeah. like, "Hire that, that guy." That is it. That is it. I actually didn't know that. Um, what college humor was there? A specific college humor video that so, got their attention? So how, how that, I was how introduced to the Daily Show is uh, through Pete Holmes, the great comedian Pete mm-hmm. Holmes, who's mm-hmm. done a lot of work here. College humor, of course, we love Pete Holmes. He was a warm-up comic at the Daily Show. Okay, um, he was the backup. Basically, Paul Mercurio is the warm-up comic at the Daily Show. Whenever he wasn't around, Pete Holmes, when he was still living in New York, would fill in. Afterwards, uh, whenever he was done warming up the audience, he would go in to the lounge with all the producers, hang out, and just talk to them, and show them our videos, some of which have been Axagon. And okay, a- so this is the videos, this is front page films, the other yes. thing I alluded to, yeah. which are the videos you made with Matt, right. uh, with Matt McCarthy, who's also done a ton of, a yeah. ton of college humor stuff, yeah. and Pete Holmes. And Pete Holmes, right. Front page films is our sketch trio, if you will. But I think I knew all of you before you formed mm-hmm. front page films. So yeah. when I heard, I heard that you were all together, it was like a super group. It was it was like the traveling Wilburys yeah, of, yeah. of <laughs> sketch comedy in New York. I was, it was so exciting. Yeah. It, and you guys have made, so Axagon. It is like the traveling Wilburys and the fact that no one's heard of us. Axagon, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Amir and Jake were on Pete's podcast, Amir yeah. cited Axagon as one of his favorite 
comedy videos oh, really? all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's it's so funny. Oh, thank you so much. It was it was one of the first things Pete and I ever did. Um, I'll I'll tell the story of Axigon, but let me can I'll finish you, the Daily okay. Show story first. So Pete is in the studio. Uh, showing videos to producers like Axagon and the first Batman video that we did at College Humor called Batman Vanishing, mm-hmm. um, which is something that Front Page Films pitched to Comedy Central to produce. And uh, they liked it. And then I believe as it was quoted to me from one of the executive producers, they're like, let's get the Batman guy. So I got to give it to College Humor. They gave me a shot to make uh, a sketch that we wrote, and that's how I, I could leave them. <laughs> what was the Axagon story? <laughs> oh, so the Axagon story, is it was awful. We shot it, and we thought we didn't have anything at all. Can you describe? Yeah, I'll, I'll describe Axagon. Axagon is a sketch that stars Pete Holmes playing Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just him in front of a green screen. There's nothing behind him in the background, so it's just green. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is selling an accent-eliminating spray. So, uh, and of course, it works for a small amount of time, but then little hints of Arnold come out. So he'll be like... Uh, he'll be uh, one of the sections. Uh, he's saying quotes from movies like, um, oh, "What is it? It's not a tumor, right?" Mm-hmm. So it's like, check out these quotes without the accent. It's not a tumor. And right. So the little <laughs> no one could do that, but Pete. Pete's How best. is it? Pete is playing both Batman and Arnold Schwarzenegger in your videos. What happened? There? It's amazing. A, a man who looks like a giant eighteen-year-old is just like playing playing Batman, a badass, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, a badass. Because he's a badass. Pete is a badass. I love on Pete. the inside. He's a lovable badass. His podcast. You listen to his podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's so great. Well, I listen to it, but it's I hang out with Pete enough that I'm like, oh, this is like just hanging out with Pete. <laughs> That's, that's what we talk about anyway. Right, right. So it's just... Yeah, listening to that show is like, that is not... Pete is not acting when he's on that oh, show. No. That's what hanging out with Pete is That's like. his therapy. Like, that's his therapy session that he just gets his friends to talk to him about the stuff that's bugging him. That, when that I'm way. not in front of a mic, I'm like crying nonstop. Yeah. Stop. This is a completely different Jeff you're hearing. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. You're just... Yeah, it's amazing that you're speaking in longer than one word sentences. So yeah. you left... College humor to go work, which I'm still. Well, no, 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 not to go work. I left college humor just because I was done being an editor. Mm-hmm. I just decided that my editing, my professional editing career, was over. Okay, I decided to move on. And then three three months later, I get a call from the Daily Show. It was very serendipitous. Okay, I was ready. I was ready to start doing freelance again, but uh, that it came along, and I uh, count my blessings every every day when I'm there. And you started as a producer on the Daily Show. Well, I still am. And so, right, right. So what does a producer on The Daily Show do? Okay. So there are three departments at The Daily Show. There's the writing department, there's the studio production department, and then there's the field department. I'm a producer in the field department. The other departments are the writing team, who are basically coming up with the jokes that come out of John's mouth. Right? They're also pitching stories to the field department and the studio production, but that's their preliminary, our primary responsibility. Mm-hmm. Then there's studio production, which handles... Basically, their prime responsibility is to manage all the clips, you know, and it sounds very... Are they the people doing the research? We're all doing the research. I mean, this, what I'm telling you is 50% of everyone's job and everyone else, the other 50% is something that everyone shares. So the studio production's 50% is going through the clips of the day, finding those amazing, like, hypocrisies and redundancies, creating those montages that are... Mind-blowingly good. They're incredible. They're incredible, I, and they pick up on trends like no one, uh, no one else have ever. Made. I mean, are there just like three people there? Clockwork Orange, style, yeah, yeah, glued to the news network. Probably like eight, but yeah, Clockwork Orange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, 
And then there's the field department, which, and our responsibility is to do everything that's outside of the studio, which is primarily the field pieces with the correspondents, where we go out and interview people, and we create news magazine-style packages. Which are the things where that aren't where John's like, and now yeah. thing, with the correspondent pieces. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry in advance for coughing all over the place, getting over being sickness. Yeah, yeah I'm okay being with being sickness. Yeah, you're just exploding someone's head. I'm right just now. exploding. You know, you know something good. You know your life's going good when the best part of your day is a productive cough. <laughs> right now, because they're all useless right now. Anyway, so and the other fifty percent of everyone's job is researching, pitching, being clued into the news. You know, and that's what we all do. We all pitch to every part of the show. So how do you, in your department, how do you guys come up with what segments, you're, what you're going to do for these uh, field pieces? Because yeah. they're things that, like, uh, for instance, I was watching a lot of your work, and there's mm-hmm. one where you went and you saw a guy who believes that Hitler was gay and that he employed uh, the, the rest of the Nazis were gay because gay people are more ferocious, right. I believe, was his thesis. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you can't sit in a room and be like, oh, we should find someone who thinks Hitler and all the Nazis oh, yeah. are gay. you got to let him come to you. Yeah, that one was special. I, I pitched that story, and it got approved. How did you just so, read yeah, about I'll, that guy? I'll, I'll, so, yeah, I was just, you know, I, I have a Google reader that's filled with, like, 50 different sources, and I just comb through, comb through. And then I, I see this, like, you know, family values, which usually means hate monger radio station. And this guy is, you know, Huffington Post picked it up or something, and and... It was this guy describing how, you know, we shouldn't allow gay people in our military because they don't have the moral compass of people who aren't gay. They've already decided to give up their morality, so they're going to be vicious and evil on the battlefield. They aren't going to live by the rules of war. Pretty reasonable so far. Yeah. So I was like, I'm on board. Let's keep listening. So, and then, um, you know, and he went on to say, and the proof of this is Hitler used... Hitler used gay people for his brown shirts, for his SS, for his most brutal tasks. You know, for the really evil Nazis. <laughs> Not the sort of evil Nazis. Um, and so I read this, and I'm like, you know, we always have a problem when we're dealing with someone who's saying that. They generally don't like to speak to anyone outside of the comforts of their own radio station. So call that guy. Of course, he doesn't want to do the show. Uh, now, do you represent? You're like we're da- we're the Daily Show. Oh, yeah. We're from Comedy Central. We, this isn't like Borat, where you're you're misrepresenting no, no, no. ourselves. We all. never misrepresent. We say we're the Daily Show. They're most of the time familiar with us, and they agree to do the show. But that guy didn't. But then I did research, and this is where the research came in. I did some research about where this guy was getting his information, and it's from this book that he read called The Pink Swastika. You know. Yeah, no, no. You, you, that you know, you're listening all... at home. You can't see the light of recognition. Yeah, exactly. Right now. The Pink Swastika, which was written by a guy named Scott Lively. And I pitched this to my boss. So there's a supervising producer that sort of runs our pitches. You know, talks. we talk to him about our pitches before they're taken to Jon Stewart, and Jon Stewart makes the final call. Um, and so he's like, there's no way this guy who wrote this book called The Pink Swastika is going to talk to us. I'm like, all right, but I'm going to try calling him. I call him. He agrees. And I come to him like, he'll talk to us. He's like, that's crazy. So the guy <laughs> that ended up being in that piece is not the original person you heard about. You took it a level deeper, and then you got the person that he was quoting, Fine. which I, is even better. Well, yeah, I found the source, and the source was a douchebag. Um, that's a, you'd think someone that has that point of view would be a <laughs> totally normal person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I found him. He agreed to the interview, and you know, a couple days later, we were interviewing him in New York. 
So this was kind of the biggest question on my mind when you got here. Why would anyone agree to be on your show? The show's been around for 10 years. It's not a secret by any means. People yeah. know what's going on. This guy can't possibly think, even if he just saw a minute of it, that The Daily Show with Jon Stewart is possibly going to come down on his side on this issue. Well, here's, here's what's weird. And this isn't necessarily people we interview. This is a lot of people that I read about in the news. And just and just watch. When you think you're right, you can't be proven wrong. Like, it's this weird thing that when you're so confident that you are right, no matter, you don't think you're a hypocrite, so you know you, you can't be bested. So these people are like, I know that they usually, the Daily Show's good, they usually gotcha, but yeah. me, I'm, they're not going to get I mean, me. This, this is, is an airtight case. Yeah, this guy is This is a guy who said the Nazis are all gay, and the reason that they're evil is because they're gay. This guy's been dealing with critics his whole life. So, just another critic is not a big deal to him. He just doesn't know we're also a comedy show. But that, doesn't he know you're a comedy show? You're like, surely the paperwork says comedy show. No, 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 he, they know he's, well, I, it's weird, most of the people I've interviewed... And they, some of them are very nice people uh, and misguided, and other people are total assholes like, like Scott Lively. Um, they, everyone thinks they're right. And when you think you're right, you can't be proven wrong. And when, even when we prove them wrong, I often get thank you emails saying, that was great. It was really funny. You know? Do you think it's just that people like being on TV? Is yeah. that a piece of it? Yeah, of course. People- I mean, that's probably publicity. I mean, I don't really know. It's like we never just find people. They're always putting their words in some sort of print or online or something. Like, we find them through traditional researching ways. They aren't people to, they aren't people that are living in a hole somewhere that we seek out. They're out there, you know, saying these things, and we're just saying, hey, say them again. I also think, as far as I can tell, and this may be editing, uh, but as far as I can tell, you guys are very fair to them. You're not like putting words in this, uh, in this guy's mouth at all. Like, Uh, he is, he's saying, he's saying these things, he's making people, he is the one in this situation, I thought, making people laugh at him. You're just giving him a platform to do it, really. Absolutely. When it comes to someone like Scott Lively, you don't need to do much. You just need him to say what he needs to say. And you can, you know, and when he says, it's not only that the Nazis are gay, they met at a gay bar. (laughs) There's no joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no joke to be had after that. He just made the joke. I think my favorite kind of joke, which is why I love the, and this is why I love the Daily Show so much, uh, is when you, because this, this show's so good at it, especially with those clip packages, is when you can present a fact and not even add it, up, not even add anything to it, just presenting yeah. facts and package the facts and put them together in such a way yeah. that like they are funny into themselves and you're not even adding anything yeah. to it. I mean, those are the best. I mean, those when we find someone like Scott Lively, he was a, you know, he. We don't get him that often, but he was this wonderful character that we didn't have to do much with because his theories were so crazy that you just show them to the world, and that's funny enough. And what's beautiful at the end of that piece, he says he doesn't even want to be in that racket. He got oh, a, that was crazy! When he, yeah. he got a sign. He feels like he got assigned the, the task of talking about gay Nazis. He's, like, yeah, and he was like, I wish I didn't have to, but you know, everyone's got a calling, and yeah, this one's mine. My calling is proving that the Nazis were gay. And you're like, no, no one, yeah, no one <laughs> that wants was... that. No one cares about it. And you're just twisting the facts. And here's here's what I learned though, like we don't just go into these things haphazardly. I researched homosexuality and the Nazi Party extensively to see this guy had any basis in fact and the truth is there were gay nazis 
Sure. But it's takes it's it's those people that take these little seeds of fact and then spin them into this crazy web of like, well, if they're gay Nazis, they're evil, and gay people are evil, and th- maybe they're evil not because they're Nazis, but because they're gay, and so all gay people are evil and vicious, and it's just taking that tiny thing that yes, there are gay Nazis. There's also gay people fighting the Nazis, you know taking that little seed of truth and expanding it into this crazy web of conspiracy. Now, there's also people who you interview whose side you're on, but there's still, like, for instance, using the uh, using this gay Nazi example, mm-hmm. there was also an interview with this woman who wrote a book about sexuality in the Holocaust. Right. And she seems kind of frustrated because, uh, you know, while they're interviewing her, it's like she, she's kind of the straight man in the right. bit where they're like, are you sure Hitler wasn't gay? And she's like, there's absolutely no proof yeah. Hitler... And she is she in on the joke that she's being used as, as a counterpoint for this other guy? Well, she knows she's the expert, and you know we. I, she knew about Scott Lively. You know we we say what our piece is about. I mean mm-hmm. we're say well, hey we're also interviewing Scott Lively. She's like oh that guy. But when you're there, you're you're she's still you're, she's still acting annoyed if she or maybe she's actually annoyed. Well, Dag, Dagmar Herzog, who you're talking about, is is like oh, just a wonderful lady, and she brought us into her office, and she actually educated me on some stuff before we actually sat down for the interview and she's really great um she uh she is pissed off that people like scott lively spread misinformation and i think that's what was translated i don't think it was in response to jason jones it was just her being pissed off that scott lively would even get these things out of her because her whole life is history yeah and sexuality and so like I, she couldn't have been a more perfect person her whole background was uh, 1940s Europe and, and Nazi Germany and sexuality. So, like, for gay Nazi peace, we couldn't have asked for a better expert. And she was actually frustrated. You showed up to Scott, and he's obviously crazy. Do you ever get somewhere, and uh, the person actually turns out to be kind of normal? Or, you know, they're not hanging themselves. It's not... They're not funny. Well, the thing is, we never know what people are... You know, these are actual interviews. Yeah. Like, you never know how an interview is going to go. Mm-hmm. Like... I'm probably going to take a shit in the middle of your desk in the middle of this interview we're doing right now, Jeff. But, but now I know but, that's coming. Now you know it's coming, which is, you know, it's not going to be surprise. funny anymore. But we, you, you don't know. You go to interviews and you walk out of them. You go to interviews expecting one thing and you walk out being like, wow, our piece is entirely different. Or that person gave us something that we weren't expecting. Or that person didn't give us what we exactly what we needed. But you roll with it. And the job has really taught me some really cool things about improvising on set. Which, now that I deal with scripted stuff uh, on the side, when I go to a set, I'm much more comfortable improvising because that's all I do as a director for The Daily Show is just improvise on set and sort of roll with what the interviewee gives us. I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering, I watched another one of your pieces, I believe your first one maybe, which was about a guy with an enormous penis who couldn't get a job. What was his name? The best first piece in the world. (laughs) What was his name? Uh, His name was Jonah Falcon. And he... I don't know any other way to describe it. How'd you find this guy? He could. He was looking for a job, and he was upset he couldn't get a job. Yeah, so and he had a, an enormous penis, and he didn't want to go into porn. Was pretty much the right. Yeah, the Jonah Falcon has one of the biggest penises in the world, and he didn't want to go into porn, but he was also out of a job. Uh, I get that. It's all right. We didn't build I the can room pick correctly. Up. Do I do this? Yeah. Yep. There we go. Sorry. Anyway, so Jonah, can you start that again? Yeah. So Jonah Falcon is this guy with a. He has one of the biggest penises in the United States, and he who who 
keeps track of that? <laughs> like, where did you look that up? Uh, I mean, that was an article that reported it, but I assume the National Book of Penis Records. Right. Uh, yeah, it's probably, I imagine, scientists. Whoever did it, like, I'm sure that they put out a press release and that everyone picked it up. Yeah. Yeah, how would they? I mean, it's probably a very scientific measuring system. Yeah. They have a special dong stick. I sounded a little too interested in yeah. that, where I was like, how do they is, measure? What is the pet? Probably with a ruler from the base. That's it's well, pretty simple. Forget about the Daily Show. How do we get that job? Yeah. But in that so in that segment, oh you were telling segment. Oh yeah, so basically, um, Jonah Falcon didn't have a job, wanted one, didn't want to go into porn, had a huge dick, and also advertised that he had a huge dick. Right. If you don't want to get into porn, maybe you shouldn't be advertising your ginormous schlong. So, yeah, it was very like I wish I didn't, but what yeah. do you know? I've got what to are do. you gonna do yeah. with this giant dick? So uh, that piece was a little different. That was my first piece at the Daily Show, and so since I was a new guy, they sort of I didn't find that piece. They were they, like, "Give him the dick one." <laughs> I got the dick one, which was I gotta say the easiest first piece I could have ever had. My next one was much harder and involved actual conflict as opposed to having a lot of fun with a guy with a giant dick. He seemed like that a very didn't good come sport, out right? Yeah, he was a great sport, nice guy. Uh, so the, the the moment I wanted to ask you about yeah. is there's a part where Samantha B is interviewing him. Samantha B is the correspondent in this uh-huh. case, and he says with a totally straight face, and it's so funny, just as a matter, very matter of factly, I think you know what I'm going to say. He's like, I could get my entire foreskin around a doorknob. Yes, and he's just, but like I I put a little too much into it. He's just like you know, it's yeah. so casual the way he works it in. I can uh, wrap my entire foreskin around a doorknob. It was the middle of a list. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't even. <laughs> The end of a list of what, like, basically the question was, how big is your penis? And in the middle of the list, he mentions that he can put his foreskin around a goddamn doorknob. It's amazing. So, so, the, so here's the moment. Your I'm, question I'm about this amazing thing? <laughs> so then there's another scene. No, where I didn't go, see him do it. They go and see a, um, a acting coach or uh, someone who does yes. casting. And Samantha B, before she opens the door, she pauses for a second. You see a thought bubble right. where she's remembering him saying that. And then she, like, puts her sleeve over her hand and opens the door. Mm-hmm. So that moment, do you write that in the car on the way there? You're like, he said yeah. that. We should work this yeah. in somewhere. Basically, I didn't know he was going to say that. Right. I don't think anyone knew he was going <laughs> to say that. I'd be very impressed if you could predict it. You know, but we had, you know, we were doing a lot of things that day. And that acting, that acting session was probably towards the end. So... At some point, we're like, we got to do something with that doorknob. Uh, and we were there, like, all right, this is perfect. And so it's a lot of improvising and taking these bits you can't plan for and sort of expanding upon them. Um, for example, did you see the one with Froma Harrop? I maybe don't know them, my name. There's a Civil Service. It was one where a woman claimed to be, she was the president of an organization that was trying to enhance civility. Oh, I discourse. did see that one, yeah. And then she was also an editorial writer who was who called the Tea Party terrorists, yeah. which may be a tad bit uncivil. She didn't think so. She was her own worst enemy. So we played this game where we go back and forth, and she's describing you know, what you do with someone who's uncivil, and she says, you know, you, you lock them, you, know, you handcuff them, and you yell at them for an hour, and John Oliver uh, says, but what if you don't have handcuffs, or something along those lines? She's like, well, you... Get them in an elevator and you scream at them for a while. I hear that. I write that down. I see an elevator. Next thing we do, we go in the elevator and we do that bit. That was not planned. That was like, hey, we just got to take this elevator. Might as well do the bit there. So, so it seems like there's a lot of planning 
before the shoot, obviously, uh, all this research. Yeah. There's a lot. Uh, there's not even planning. There's a lot of writing before the shoot. Uh-huh. There's a lot of writing on the set, and then I imagine a lot of it is also written in the editing. Bed. Yeah, absolutely. You plan, you plan, you plan for something that's you can't plan for, and then when you get there, you throw it all out the window. I right. remember when I read. Uh, did you read? And here's the kicker. Uh-uh. It's a book by Mike Sachs, and it's all these interviews with comedians. It's so good. I once missed a train. I was taking a train from my home in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and I was reading the book, and I was so into the book, I missed a train, and it cost me an hour. And really? I, like, I didn't even mind because I was yeah. just I was just More kept reading book. the book. Yeah. So it's all these interviews with comedians. Um, they're long, and it was kind of a pre WTF. So it was like really, it's really exciting thing to be reading, and they're really great comedians. One of them in there is Larry Charles, mm-hmm. I think is his name. Or maybe it was someone who worked on Borat. I think it was Larry okay. Charles who directed it, but it might have been Sasha Baron Cohen's writing partner. I'm yeah. forget. And he talked about how they would plan for a Borat segment or an OEG segment, and they would script like a thousand different variations, just try yeah. to anticipate everything that could, they could possibly say. Right. And then they'd have a line ready to go for whatever the response yeah. was. Is that how you guys do it too? Do you try to be like, what if they say this? Then we'll go down this road. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about you think about that. Uh, I think probably less intensive than Borat, uh, because we yeah we plan. You're also for, not fooling anyone, which I think like they, yeah, they have to they, have that extra layer. They have layer this of, layer of conceit yeah. of deceit. They know we're interviewing them about this subject. So if we come up with another, if we take a moment to think of another question based off of what they said, that's fine. Yeah, that's you know, I it's not so. like we need to trap them into saying things. If they say something, we'll have a response for it. You know. Um, and then we can always come back to a, a topic. It's not a big deal. I mean, we do interviews with people like news magazines do it. We sit down, we talk about a lot of things, and then we we form it into a story with B-roll and voiceover and stuff like that. So we can always come back to different pieces. Was there ever a segment that turned out just completely differently than what you had planned? Like, it just it changed completely. Well, yeah. I, I was doing this one shoot uh, called The Thin Jew Line. Uh, it was about an Eruv, which is a string Orthodox oh, Jews yeah, yeah. put around their town so they can work on the Sabbath. They're in New York, too. They're in New York, all over the such, place. Can we explain, talk about this for a sec? Because it's such a loophole in It is religion. a loophole, and that's a huge joke in the piece. Like, it is, it is like, so it's, it's, Jews it's, say, it's, a, it's Jews saying, God, my ruler, yay. I just, the, my omniscient, omnipresent God. I think we can trick them. I think this will work. So I think we is, can trick them. There's a rule where on the Sabbath, I think you can only, it's, it's on the Sabbath, I think, right. you can only carry things in your home. You can only do things in your home. Right. So to get, but now in modern day societies, particularly in New York, right. so to get around this, they put up a string around the neighborhood, and there's a huge one, I think on the Lower East Side. There's one on the Upper upper West Side? Or on, and it's huge. It's, it's, this is not like a block. This is block. This is New York. And... Uh, because the string represents their whole home, so they can bring things wherever. That they... Yeah, it's sort of to do my like. Uh, I'm sorry, this is probably pre- exactly what the yeah, segment. No, covered. no, no. To, to do my prejudicial like Hasidic Jewish accent, it's like, hey, you know, what is a home? But uh, you know, what is a town? But a home, and uh, you know, all you need around the town to make it your home is a fence. But I can't really put up a fence because uh, you know there's uh, rules that you can't do, and so I put up a string. You're absolutely right about them trying to uh, trick. They're they're tricking. It's weird to be that devoted to Gab, but also be like, we can pull one over on him here. It's it's amazing. That was my favorite part of the movie uh, Religious. Did you see that? Mm -mm. Also a Larry Charles movie with Bill Maher. uh, And they're 
I didn't love that movie, but there's one part where Bill Maher talks to these people in Israel who make inventions that do just this. Yeah. Like, there's like, oh, you can't dial on the Sabbath. Yeah. So there's a wand that, like, you, it's like a phone that, like, it's some trick so where, like, it, it stops Simpsons? dialing if yeah. you, like, hold this number. So it's not, you Oh, we can dialing. get into this. All right, so my dad's from Israel, and they have a lot of tricks to, so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. One being elevators. Instead of not using an elevator, they just stop at every floor. Oh. Uh, so you don't have to push the button. They and here's it gets, I, I have a good one too. Uh, is yours the refrigerator one? No, no. no, no. What's yours? We'll okay, trade. So I was friends uh, with our rabbi's son when I okay. was younger, and he was a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, a huge baseball fan in general. And when they'd play on the Sabbath on Saturday, they would hook up like a timer to the TV so the TV would turn itself on before the game started and like turn itself off a few hours later. And I remember even when I was very young being like, this can't possibly be what this rule is about. Yeah. God can't possibly be like, you can watch TV, you just can't turn you it just on. You just gotta trick it. Yeah, it's like, if you trick me, you got me. <laughs> fool God once. <laughs> fool guy? God didn't invent timers. We invented timers and God gave us the free will to use timers to trick him. <laughs> but okay, there's other crazy ones. There's Refrigerators. All right. So opening a refrigerator isn't work because it doesn't create fire. Create. It's it's all about this quote in the Bible that's about you can't create fire, which is translated to doing work. Whatever. Right. Which is it's obviously very weird in modern day society where you have car whatever. Uh, it's so crazy. So you open a refrigerator door. The light turns on. That is creating fire. So they have special refrigerators that have a just. A random lighting pattern. Basically, the, a light in the fridge will turn off and on at random intervals. Random. Uh. So you can just open the fridge and it'll most likely be lit. But it's just like, that's it. That's all you need. You just need a, a randomly flicking light bulb to trick God. It's like, and it's also, there's another example of Hasidic women wear wigs. In the Bible, it says women should shave their head for modesty's sake. If they're married, I think. Great rule. Good rule. <laughs> good rule. Good way, good reason, like, uh, it's a great way to make sure your wife isn't going to cheat because she's going to have a shaved head. Anyway, so women have to shave their head for modesty. So what do Hasidic women do now? They buy thousands upon thousands of dollars uh, of wigs, different wigs of different styles and different cuts to cover up their bald heads so they can look pretty while being modest, which seems... It's like you're defeating the purpose. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. Fucking Jews. This Fucking place, Jews. This, this turned into Pete's podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I just... Here's so, the thing. So, Believe what you will, but any... Isn't Judaism... A lot of Judaism, at least what I learned growing up, and I'm not religious at all, but was that Jews are supposed to question things, but orthodoxy... In Judaism like that, where there's such blatant hypocrisy just staring you at the face, you know, uh, it's just so silly. I just find, like, it's a religion that says, hey, question us, but also if you're going to go hardcore into the orthodox sect of it, you don't question these absolutely absurd rules. Maybe the questioning thing is why there's that stereotype of mm-hmm. the Jewish comedian, which isn't. Uh, t- I mean, it's a stereotype, but there yeah. are a lot. There are a lot of Jews in comedy. Too. I imagine the guilt because there's also a lot of Catholics in comedy. Mm. I find if you went to Catholic school or okay. you grew up with it, it's like I said. Uh, I think guilt creates comedy. Uh, Catholics get it from God. Jews get it from their mother. That's Jews funny. have it worse. So let's get back on track. Oh, yeah, back you can start track. talking. This this segment was one I believe that we were saying it turned out completely different oh, than yeah. we planned. 
just like the past five minutes of this podcast. Right, exactly. Um, so we showed up to Florida to interview someone about this Eruv, and there was something happened, and the guy couldn't interview with us anymore, literally an hour and a half before we were supposed to meet him. And uh, and we, we had to scramble. Like We thought the piece was done and over and not going to happen. And so we have a great research team back in New York. I'm like, hey, our person dropped out. We need to find someone. You know, we scoured articles. We just, there on our smartphones, we just scoured articles. Like, wait a minute, what about this guy? We call a guy who just so happens to be in Boca Raton, Florida. Just so happens to live in the same town in the Hamptons. Wait, wait, wait. you found a Jew in Boca Raton, yeah. Florida? Crazy. <laughs> I know, wow. I know. And we meet this guy. His, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. He was this amazing generous, like the nicest old queen you've ever met. Just like this uh, Charles Gottesman, an old queen straight out of the birdcage, like Jewish, gay, wonderful house full of gaudy stuff. I, he was the nicest guy in the world. So we find him and interview him as the role of the person who didn't want the Eruv because he didn't. And he was the best part of the piece, by far the best part of the piece, in so much that the piece probably wouldn't have made it if I didn't have him because he was so good and his char- he was just such a wonderful character that, you know, the piece started as a very straight piece about religion, and this guy really just made it shine. Has there ever been anyone, I think I've asked you this a few times in this podcast now, but the show is so good, I want to believe it's, you guys aren't, there's some, you guys aren't perfect. You must have to throw these out just because they're so unpredictable. There must be some where you're just like, well, that yeah. didn't work. Oftentimes, uh, we come up with a story, we research it. But we need. Not to, your, uh, I'm not blaming you. Or no, no, no. We research it, and the, unpredict- the nature of the unpredictability. And, we go, of and sometimes, uh, and sometimes we research it and we plan. But the person who it's based off of is like, no, I, uh, you know, I don't want to meet with you at this time. But even you know? what about after you shoot it? Some pieces don't make air. They just don't. Yeah. They just don't end up clicking. Yeah. yeah, some of them don't click. Some. I mean, that's the thing. We go out there and we don't have scripts. And sometimes we do these interviews, and and sometimes we discover the story as we read it in an article is completely different than the reality on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so we try to do as much research as possible ahead of time to make sure that we don't go out there. But sometimes uh, we don't go out there and uh, in vain, but sometimes you go out there and things are very different. And so sometimes we bring back footage and it just doesn't work. These these segments that you work on are the one part of the show that Jon Stewart isn't, you know, on. He, he does the opening yeah. and the... Uh, but is he working on them with yeah, you guys? Absolutely. Because yeah, he's the producer of the show. Yeah, yeah. He's the executive producer. He's the boss. He's, I mean, he's the busiest man I've ever met in my life, yet he still manages to give his input on every part of the show. It's really, really impressive. Like, yeah. I'm a pretty busy guy, but he takes it to a new crazy level. Um, so, yeah, he gives us notes on, he basically helps, like, guide us in how we craft our stories, in how, like, in jokes that we should do, and, and, types of jokes that we should try to get while we're out there. And then when we come back, we screen it for him and he gives notes on like how to restructure it. And that's more his vision and stuff like that. That's cool. I think that explains why the show, even though it's made up of all these different segments, has a very singular voice. I think you need one person to have a singular voice. Look at Louis. Louis is the a much smaller example that he literally does everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why it has such a singular voice. But I think it takes a singular voice to make truly unique shows. Even yeah. I, like, you know, I think I'm a little more familiar with writing and jokes and all that than, than most. But it's still, I still have to remind myself sometimes that Jon Stewart isn't putting that show together completely by himself just yeah. because it's so, it's so of his voice and it's so, oh, yeah. such a complete thing. And 
I don't mean to to belittle like the talents of anyone. I mean, I work with some of the most dauntingly talented people I've ever worked with. In so much that I'm like, oh wait, before, in this industry, you you sort of have to have built in to yourself that I'm better than at least some people because mm-hmm. entertainment, not everyone can be successful. But There's I think it is, a, it is a meritocracy to a degree. Like the people you work with who are on The Daily Show, which is Wonderful. an amazing show, one of the best shows, they're the best people. But they are so funny and so talented. I'm like, well, I can never, I can't even try to get there. I How mean, many people work on a segment that you get you shoot? Um, start to finish? Not, I mean, we have a, a producer, an associate producer, who's helping us with research and calling and stuff like that. Then we have... Um, Writers are, are brought in to help come up with jokes. Uh, we have production assistants. We have production coordinators. We have uh, field production coordinators. This is, this is a ton of people. Yeah, it's a ton right. of people. It's a full staff. Yeah. But, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's me and the correspondent and a crew we hire in Tulsa or wherever we are at the time. Oh, so you just, that's, and, very, that, and that's it. And like that's when, it. Because once you're there, that's when you're rewriting and coming up with all these jokes. And that's just us. Yeah. It's weird to me that they hired you based on those Batman videos. Not that it's weird that they hired you, but that uh, I have no the, the idea Batman videos seem, and any sketch video, it seems like a completely different skill set. Yeah. I had but to learn I'll, how to be a journalist. To defend the Daily, to exp- maybe defend the Daily Show's decision to hire you. Uh, no, there's no training ground for that. No one exactly does all these things. So I think the best you can do is maybe find someone who's really good, really funny, uh, knows a lot about a variety of, you know, every piece of production pre and right. post and actually shooting, who can make jokes, yeah. and then hope they're good at this too, which you seem Exactly. To you can't, I don't think anyone can prepare for this. I mean, I don't care if you're a producer or a writer and a director, but to also be a, to be a comedy director... And have journalism in your background, and be a joke writer, and be a producer. Like that skill set rarely comes together like it does at, at my job. So it's uh, I got thrown in as a sketch guy. And are the other producers? Do they also come from sketch backgrounds? Oh, uh, let's see. Two come from sort of like a comedy. Like one did a feature. One one did a lot of sketches with some New York comics. Uh, one guy came from 48 Hours. Uh, the actual, yeah. this is an actual news magazine, so you're parodying. <coughs> my, my boss, my supervising producer, he's actually a co-executive producer, he came from 60 Minutes. You know, like, so we have that mixture of news guys and comedy guys together. The writers, you were saying, help with these segments, which makes sense. Yeah. Do you ever help with the writing, with the jokes? The yeah, we pitch ideas. I mean, some, sometimes we, we're, I mean, we're all scouring the news every day. And sometimes you you see a piece of news and you're like, well, that's not a field piece. It doesn't have characters. It's not big enough to be. It's not big enough to be a full field piece. But it's a joke, and so you send the joke in to the writers, and they take it or they leave it. So everyone's contributing to everyone else. And the correspondents are they writers too? Um, currently, uh, John Oliver is the only writer. Slash correspondent. How do the correspondents get hooked up to the pieces? Are you like, oh, this would be a good Samantha B one, or uh, it's it's all dependent. Um, sometimes stories. Let's say, for example, um, I'm trying to think of a good one. For example, um, with a piece, I'm just trying to think of a piece that was very female centric. Let's say, for example, that a piece is about Mexican immigration, right? 
there's a couple ways you can approach that. Do we want our correspondent to be on this, like, to come from the side of the immigrants? Then you choose Al Madrigal, our new Latino correspondent. Or do you want them to t- play the role of the white Arizonian who's fighting against it? Then we choose someone like Jason Jones or John Oliver or something like that. So we have this nice stable of correspondence that we can do different pieces, like mm-hmm. especially like, let's say, a Muslim piece. We have Asif Manvi if we want to take the side of this scary Muslim. Or we do a white guy who's scared of the Muslims. Um, or, and, but there's some pieces that it doesn't matter, and it's whoever's available. So it's really... It's um, a very deep bench. They're all very, very... Yeah, yeah, they're all amazing. And it's just a nice mixture. So between who's right for it, who's available, and uh, yeah, so basically who's right for it and who's available. Yeah. Is how we decide. You produced a segment where you appear to have filmed Jason Jones' vasectomy. Yes. Do you, were you actually in the room filming his vasectomy? Yes. Uh, Jason Jones actually pitched that story where he's like, "I got the sense that he was like, I'm getting this. I'm let getting me a vasectomy. I, let me see if I can guess what happened. Yeah. He's like, I'm getting a vasectomy. You might as well make a story out of mm-hmm. it. And he pitched the story. He's like, you know, I have a disease and I'm getting it cured, and the disease is children. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. And so he's and so I was the producer on it and. You know, through the process, he's like, well, I can't bring in a crew to this vasectomy operation. So it's just me holding a 10-pound camera over my head for an hour, pointing it at ball surgery and just getting really lightheaded. I've never been in a surgery before. Granted, it was a very small one. But still, when you see a doctor, like, messing Uh, with balls and, like, puncturing them, it's it it gets you. But it was worth it. You got a shot of the balls in there. I got a shot of the balls. I... Am and I'm so proud to say this, the first person to put bare testicles on any MTV network show in history. What does wait? What does that mean? Like, there's never been oh ba- unblurred. I, I thought like bare testicles like of a bear. I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, <no>. the worst. <laughs> That's coming. Uh, no, but I was yeah, like, I've seen bare testicles there, on on plenty of. TV there's shows. never been uncensored testicles. How did you get away with that? Because it was medical. Because it's medical. We showed, you know. Well, what about uh, you know what I remember that Tom Green special where Tom Green had testicular cancer, and I, I think it was very graphic. But I don't think you saw like the sack. The sack. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was there was graphic footage, but I think it was like surgery and inside and that kind yeah. of thing. It wasn't recognizably balls. Balls. Yeah. And so we showed the standards and practices people. We're like, uh, you show breast surgeries. <laughs> you're showing like mm-hmm. like real life. I'm getting a breast reduction, and like crazy graphic like we're cutting off the nipple here and here's what and just showing a woman's bare breast and the surgery getting done to her like you can show that but you can't show a guy getting his balls like his best deference cut and so we got it on and in i am proud to say i shot someone's balls <laughs> yeah. uh, on tv is there anything else we we have to talk about with the daily show do we do we get everything because i want to talk about front page films and those batman yeah, videos too. yeah let's move on enough of that shit enough of that shit that's boring all right so every day of my life no one likes that show. No anyway. one likes that show. Yeah. So you also make these Batman sketch videos with uh-huh. front page films. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, don't, I don't remember what we, if we introduced this properly at the beginning of the show with Matt McCarthy and Pete yeah. Holmes and you, and you make them with college humor. Yeah. The Batman video. So front page films is a is a group between Pete Holmes, myself, and Matt McCarthy. Uh, they're wonderful comedians and actors and writers, and I'm a director and a writer, and we just mesh really well together. We've been shooting since 2007 together. And then, so when I was working at College Humor, we pitched you guys the Batman video, Batman Vanishing. It got produced, and since then, it did really well, and we've been making more. So we just we just put out three uh, last year, and I'm happy to say we're going to be making at least three more. One of my favorites. They're all really good. 
The one that I thought was so cool was there was one with the Riddler, mm-hmm. where Matt McCarthy played the Riddler. Uh-huh. And what was so cool about this, from beyond the sketch being funny, was that the it's listeners of the show will know that there's many types of Batmans. We interviewed yeah. a guy who did his PhD on Batman, and we spent an hour talking about yeah, all yeah. the different forms of Batman. You guys are specifically doing Christopher Nolan Batman. Yes. And you did this sketch with the Riddler, who is not in any of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Mm-hmm. And Matt is playing the Riddler, but it's it's a different type of Riddler costume. Right. It's not the one in the comic books. It's not the one from the 60s show. You were kind of like, if Christopher Nolan did do the Riddler, right. how would he do it? And he had a scar question mark on his forehead. Right. And none of that. Sort of a Manson thing going. It had nothing to do with the actual joke of the sketch. All that right. was was just set up so that you understood that this was bad, This was a serious Batman dealing with a serious Riddler. Right. The costume was not, you didn't talk about it or anything like uh-uh. that. It's just, it's, it's mise-en-scene. Yeah. Uh, it was, that was, thank you, that's my favorite one and I wrote that one. Um, what uh, was the joke of that? Can the you, joke can of that, the, the joke, can, yeah. we, can we ruin the video for this? Yeah, let's ruin it. Well, it's basically a very simple premise and I feel it's more about the execution. D- that's true, that's it's, true. It's Batman. Those are all, the Riddler gives You ba- could say that about a lot of front page, not to interrupt, those, you could say, I did interrupt, you could yeah. say that about a lot of the front page films. He's like, Axagon, if I made Axagon, it's terrible, but with Pete in it, it's, it's hilarious. It's amazing, yeah. I mean, and that's sort of what I've learned too because I was, I was always very meta and heady about my sketches and now through working with Pete and Matt, I've really, I can write for character actors a little bit more and for actors a little bit more and just let scenes sort of evolve and let the characters play them out instead of trying to get too meta too quickly. Uh, I still love that meta shit. but So with Riddler, Riddler gives Batman a relatively easy riddle. And Batman, in this world that we've created, this our version of the Nolan universe, Batman is a total fucking idiot. Batman's always the one that's incompetent in all the sketches. Like, Batman's oh. the one that's fucking up. Batman is an idiot. Everyone else is normal. Everyone else is in this world, but Matt, Batman is totally dumb. So, he, Batman is just, like, totally stumped on a very easy Riddler to the chagrin of not only Riddler, but also Rachel, who he's holding hostage. And eventually, Riddler and Rachel are on the same side yelling at Batman for not getting the easiest riddle in the book. But regarding the costume, it was so much fun to do because I, I love like reimagining sort of like the Riddler's hokey. He's like a hokey, campy character. Like he makes stupid little games for Batman. Like Yeah, the Riddler's superpower is giving away the crime. Yeah. It's like turning himself in. Yeah, basically turning himself in slowly. Yeah. To smart people. Like, turning himself... Yeah, no, not smart people. Turning himself into people who can get basic puns. The Riddler is a good... The Riddler, you know who really did the Riddler? The only time I've really liked the Riddler Uh is in the Batman video games. The Riddler is a perfect character. Well, first of all, they did did it. I think they also had a cool take on the Riddler, where he was like... He looked a little disheveled, but, like, still very smart. Uh, But the Riddler is perfect for video games. Right. It's like little challenges and, you know, yeah. puzzles to figure out. Absolutely. But uh, old Riddler comics, they're basically fun activity yeah, books in the guise games. of a Batman Yeah, comic. and I, I just imagine, I, you know, I racked my brain about him. Like, in a Nolan world, what would he do? He'd be like, you know, Batman, riddle me this. If you can find, like, no, Batman would just, like, find him via his cell phone trace and just, like, kick his ass. Uh so I was thinking, all right, let's just make him a homicidal maniac that doesn't use riddlers as riddles as challenges, 
but uses riddles as just sort of cruel games. Like, okay, his yeah. plan was to shoot Rachel no matter what, but he wanted Batman basically to say. Oh, yeah, because the riddle, the riddle's not to solve anything in your video. Right. I never even put that together, yeah. yeah. I think you see that with the Riddler sometimes where he's just taunting Batman. Yeah, but, uh, he's taunting. I, I never even, that's an interesting difference. I never yeah, so basically the riddle wasn't to solve anything. It's basically like, I'm going to kill your girlfriend. Guess how I'm going to do it. And he's holding a gun up to her head. And that makes it even funnier when he's frustrated about right. it because all he wants to do, he just, he could easily kill he her. He could easily kill her. Right. But he's like, just, That's funny. just come on, just at least humor me and say how I'm going to do it. And then it becomes a point of like, really? This guy's such an idiot. But yeah, thank you. I, that's, I love I doing mean, that. they're also funny. They're all funny. I love... But the other ones are parodies of scenes from the movie, and that was like a original scene. Mm-hmm. And hopefully... I'm not sure if it's going to be in this batch, but if we do future ones after this next three, we're we're planning on doing a lot more of those, like, just reimaginings of these Batman villains. Who's your favorite Batman villain? Huh. I almost feel like when I say who's your favorite band, what I'm asking is who's your favorite band yeah. besides the Beatles. And when I say who's your favorite Batman besides villain. Besides the Joker. Yeah, besides the Joker. Huh. From, like, the time when I watched the cartoon, I really liked, um, I don't know... Did he have like a villain name? The the guy who had the puppet, the ventriloquist, the ventriloquist, I believe, and the Scarface. The ventriloquist is the guy, and I think Scarface is his dummy. Scarface is his mobster dummy that would kill everybody, and the and the dummy Scarface would yell at the ventriloquist, who was his like servant and his mm-hmm. butler, and it's just a cool dual personality thing. There's a lot of fun with that. There's you a lot of fun. I just remembered about the Riddler because we're talking about the animated series and how the Riddler is a better character for video games. Yeah. I read on a Wikipedia article so at some point in my yeah. reading of Wikipedia articles about Batman, which there's been several waves of, so I, yeah. can't even, I can't even tie it to a date, but that the cartoon writers hated using the Riddler because they hated coming up with the riddles. Yeah. Uh, but one episode where they did use the Riddler is he's in the video game. Even yeah. in the cartoon, he's in a video game. Yeah. I think- my, I remember that one. I think- I, You know who I love is uh, Mr. Freeze, and I came up really? and talked about this a little- Like, Mr. Freeze was never interesting until the cartoon. The cartoon is what gave him that origin where- yeah. uh, with his wife being frozen and right. made like a lot more noble villain, and I think yeah, and ever was... since then, with the exception of Batman and Robin, whenever you see him, he's been a much more interesting character. God, those awful puns. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mister Freeze is like an—he's not your typical villain. He's like very sympathetic, like because he was just trying to save his wife, right? It wasn't that, and then he got he like the—he was trying to cryogenically freeze his wife, or he did. Yeah, but in the experiment. He froze himself as well and has to live in the suit to survive. Something. And I think he has to raise money to pay for saving her. Or, or pay for keeping her alive or at least trying to rejuvenate her. It's all it's just a love story. Why did you do sketches about Batman as opposed to Superman or something like that? Uh, let's see. The, well, the origin of Batman Vanishing came from Pete. Pete wrote Batman Vanishing. And there's something really nice about the new Batmans. They, they're so serious. Which is sort of great, because Batman, I love the Frank Miller and the uh, jo- uh, Leb, Loeb? Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb. Uh, I love the Frank Miller and the Jeff Loeb Batmans that take that sort of darker twist on him, and the Alan Moore killing joke. It's like, mm-hmm. the, the twist, like, oh yeah, the Joker isn't a fun little clown. He's a maniac. He's crazy. And they took it really seriously, the Nolan films. And so... Taking that wonderfully dark universe that Christopher Nolan created and just taking the crucial element of it and making him a total idiot is just the most fun I've ever had. Like, Pete and I just sit around doing the Batman voice, having him being a bumbling idiot. Like, "Uh, can you get the Doritos? No, no, two cheese. I hate them. 
I yeah. loved uh, in the one where you had where Batman is interviewing the Joker or he's interrogating the Joker, yeah. and he's got the wrong clown as the Joker. Right. But in one, you have one room where Pete is playing Batman and Matt's playing the clown, and mm-hmm. then in the other room, Matt Pete's playing the Joker and right. Matt is playing the cop. Right, and he's playing Gordon. Uh, Gordon, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love working with Pete so much that I'm willing to spend hours on set and hiring body doubles just to make sure they can be the main characters. All the main characters. Yeah, because they have such a great dynamic. Yeah, like Pete and Matt have this wonderful dynamic. They met on a commercial for Die Hard Batteries. That's oh, where they first met. I didn't know that. Yeah, and Pete plays positive and Matt plays negative. Mm-hmm. And. We basically just do that. Yeah, that's perfect. We just do that. And what's cool is like Matt in a lot of college humor videos is the crazy kooky guy. Mm-hmm. I love. He's like one of the best straight men I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. He's like like so- in um, the college humor jeggings videos. He's like the straight man to the yeah. class having ridiculous uh, outfits. Yeah, he is. I'm gonna have he, to get him on the show too. He's, he's on Nerdler and uh, yeah. I think Bleep Bloop too. I forget. Yeah, but Pete Pete's so goofy and fun and lovable. When you have a curmudgeonly Matt just like being pissed off at him, it's the funniest thing in the world. I so love it. People know where they can see The Daily Show, I'm assuming. Yeah. Where can they see these Batman videos and the other work of Front Page Films? Well, all of our work is sort of collected on frontpagefilms.com. Uh, and, of course, you can see the all the Batman videos on College Humor. And for a time, I'm not sure if it uh, is still happening. This was a, a boast that I love telling. It's uh, If you type Batman into YouTube... We were one of the top hits. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Like that's all cool. of our videos are at least on the front page. And for a time. I mean, they're extremely popular Batman videos. Yeah, the, I'm so thrilled by the success of them, and I'm thrilled we get to make more. They are, you know, I love The Daily Show. It is an amazing experience. But when I'm on set with Pete and Matt, and he's in a goddamn Batman outfit, and we get to make comic book movies, like, granted, it's not that often, but when we do, it's just like such a pleasurable experience. Is it a relief just because coming from the Daily Show, you're like, oh, thank God, there's a script. Scripts. These guys are going to say exactly. the same thing over it's and over wonderful. again. Oh, friends who I know their sensibilities. I don't have to assume they're going to say something different, you know, but there's improv. But we go up, we have a script, we have a goal, we shoot it. I'm, I don't have to really necessarily worry about what I know we're going to get it. And I know these guys are funny. Hey, there's none of that worry that comes with that Daily Show piece of like, all right, stepping into the fire, let's see what happens. Oren, thank you so much for being on the no. Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Thank you so much, Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin. I know I say this every week, but it doesn't make it any less true. God damn, that was a fun one. Come back next Tuesday for more Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Is that really, can that really be all I have to talk about here? Nothing, no corrections or updates or anything? I think this is it. You know, while we're here, when, well, since we have this extra time, would, would it, it wouldn't hurt if you left a review on iTunes. If you followed me on Twitter, that's at Jeff Rubin Show. On my Tumblr, at JeffRubinJeffRubin.com. On my Facebook fan page. And on, you know, I just jumped right into this. I, I forgot what I started with. Twitter, Facebook fan page, Tumblr. YouTube.com slash Jeff Rubin. Jeff Rubin. Thank you guys so much for listening. God, I love you guys. Thank you for listening. More on Tuesday. Bye for now.